0: This is Emery Melhoff, your host for today's Straight Talk with NDFB. Today, I am sitting here with Larry Lewick from Fairmont, other than being the senator from District 25. Is that right?
1: That's correct, Emery.
0: Okay. Other than being the senator from down there, Larry Lewick is a organic producer. Um, Yeah, we're just going to talk about your operation and your farm.
1: My farm is about one mile from South Dakota and about three and a half miles from Minnesota. I'm a small farmer by, um, uh, you know, gauging everybody else in Richland County down there. I only farm 225 tillable acres, and uh, it's been certified organic for 31 years now. My wife is a high school math and science teacher. My children are all grown. Well, they've got uh, engineering and doctorate degrees and so on and so forth. They're a group of nerds, which I love very much. <laughs> we got into the organic farming business because um not really sure of the process of organic farming and how it pertained to the uptakes of the chemicals into the, the physical plants themselves and what kind of residual chemicals were actually staying in the soil. So that, that's kind of what uh, got us... Interested in learning about soil health and how the chemicals and um, not using the chemicals kind of worked as far as raising crops and animals.
0: So you said that the farm has been organic for 30 plus years. Is that right?
1: That's correct. Okay.
0: So did you certify it as organic or go through the certification process or was it given to you that way or did you buy it that way or how did that come about?
1: No, I bought a quarter and an 80 from my mother and father, and uh, it was conventionally tilled before that. So we took most of it from uh, conventional till to organic. There was uh, approximately uh, 35 acres of pasture that was certifiable organic to start with. And then there was maybe about 12 acres of alfalfa of that total 225 acres that was certifiable uh, organic the first year that was an easy no-brainer for us to switch those over and um, we ended up raising black turtle edible beans the first year and we sold them as organic and then the rest of us all transitional because we didn't use conventional fertilizers or pesticides or besides on any of that so we actually got in on a transitional market which really gave us a shot in the arm because the black turtle beans that particular year were, uh, were the crop to have.
0: Okay. How long did it take you to get the rest of that, those acreage uh, certified?
1: So there's two processes you have to look at. One is what types of chemicals have been used on those acres beforehand. And uh, luckily We had been using atrazine on the other conventional acres of my dad's farm, but this particular field did not have the atrazine. So we got by with only having to go through the process of the um, transitional portion of that for three years. Oh, wow. Now, if it had had the uh, atrazine, then it's a five-year process. Okay. But for most of the chemicals that we have or are using today, as, as, I, as I understand it now, there isn't the rates of atrazine being used like we used to mm-hmm. do uh, 30-some years ago. So it would be probably, I would say, 90 to 95% of the acreages that uh, get turned are probably going to be in that three-year time frame.
0: Okay. So for producers who are interested in switching to organic and they want to go through the certification process, um, what do you do for those three years? Because you can't sell your craft as certified organic and you can't use chemicals. (laughs) So what do you do? do? Uh,
1: Well, um, there's always the conventional market, no matter what. And um, if you're lucky enough to get involved with what's uh, called the transitional market, that market as I understand it, is out there and available. Uh, you don't get the organic price, but you don't have to take the conventional price as well. Hmm. So there is, there is a, a third market. So just depending upon what your rotation that you set up to um, try and follow, whether you, um, you, know, you can do some scouting ahead of time with different companies that provide that transitional market, you can do okay. You can do probably better than the conventional market Hmm. um, with the transitional market. So,
0: Okay. Um, So let's talk practical here for just a little bit. Sure. Um, I think one of the big questions that I would have if I was looking at transitioning my farm to organic would be, how do you control the weeds? (laughs) So what what do you do? Because that's why we spray chemicals is for weed control. So how do you control the weeds on your farm?
1: Depending upon the crops that you grow, the row crops, it's simply to um, understand that through harrowing with a, a fine tooth harrow, mm-hmm. um, row cultivation, rotary hoeing, timing the crop rotation makes a big difference. Because if you were to follow a certain crop that is you've allowed to get a lot of weeds in, and then you follow it with something that Say, like a a cereal grain where you can't control that as easily, uh, then you can get yourself in trouble because now that wheat crop out there looks like you spread mustard out there, Mm -hmm. you know? And so uh, uh, there's a learning curve to that, of course. And there's, but there's a way that you can make the best ditch effort as far as uh, controlling those weeds the best that you can. You have to understand in any organic practice, I think that you have to look at it a little differently than what uh, conventional individuals look at uh, as far as weeds go. So if you look at a weed plant itself, yes, it is a nutrient-robbing pest. However, if we had use for that weed, would it be considered a weed yet? Hmm. So now you look at, okay, so you know what? I can live with that particular weed out there or these particular weeds, because I know next year I will be able to handle those in a different cropping scenario. Mm -hmm. So sometimes these weeds' roots are maybe doing more to recycle nutrients or put nutrients back into the soil that we call weeds. Maybe we are working under spraying,
0: Hmm.
1: killing off that diversified cover crop that may be doing us some benefit. Hmm. And we aren't even considering that because, you know what, we're calling those weeds. I have always thought that, uh, you know, there's definitely an identification of particular weeds that are harmful in crop production and crop yields. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that there's been any types of identification of the benefits that some of those, let's call them plants, Hmm. do for your soil health. We used to think as sunflowers as being a weed itself. Now we've domesticated it, let's say, mm-hmm. and now we've raised crops uh, off of that plant. There are hundreds of weeds that we call weeds, but you know, maybe they're doing a whole lot more beneficial actions to the soil that we, than we, we really realize. But getting back to controlling them, they're only a weed if they're out of place. And or if they are troublesome to the point where they are robbing your nutrients and robbing your moisture and robbing your yields, so the biggest weed problem that I have is the common cocklebur. <laughs> but now this last year I moldboard plowed it to bury the seeds deep, and that helps uh, for this crop that I'll plant this year mm-hmm. with um, the practices of cultivation, harrowing, rotary hoeing. I can keep that field pretty decent, and in fact, there are places where you don't see any weeds at all, but there are patches in the field where that old rock pile used to be, for example, Mm -hmm. that you would have the Russian thistle coming in there, and it is obviously thick enough that it is problematic for the corn yield there, Mm -hmm. or the beans, or whatever it is. And so that shows up, but it just makes a difference on the weed that you have and how to handle it it's not a one practice fits all it's not something for the uh, meek at heart it is uh, something that you have to understand what you're doing and what you love to do and i looked at it like many times just quit rent it out spray it whatever it takes (laughs) to get away from it but yet every year when harvest comes around or I sell that crop, I look at it in an entirely different light because Hmm. I'm in it as well as everybody else to make money. Mm -hmm. And um, it is a way that you can make money if you do it properly.
0: If you're okay with this, let's dive a little bit into that. So sure. obviously, as producers, our call or vocation is to produce and to feed other people. And, and that's what we're called to do. But we're also called to provide for our families and our businesses and build something that lasts. And mm-hmm. so you said that your farm is, a, you could say it's smaller than some of your neighbor's farms. But is that because you can maximize those acres? Or let's, let's just dive into profitability.
1: So for example... Kind of the rule of thumb is you want to have about one-third the acres of organic production compared to conventional production. So you only have to have a third as many acres okay, to come up with that gross profit that you are maybe I looking see. at. I
0: see. Okay.
1: All right. So now, for example, um, I'll give you my corn yield two years ago. It was only 100, 100 bushel an acre. That's what I netted. And, and uh, in
0: your area, just for some perspective, for because we have listeners from all over the state, what sure. would be the typical yield off of a conventional corn crop down there?
1: Probably it's going to be an average of 150 to 170. Okay. So it's a little over half.
0: So looking at like a 50 to 70 acre less probably Correct. on that corn. Yes. Okay, okay.
1: Now, that is only on my production. However, now if you were to have the nicety of having an animal diversified hmm. operation, that yield is going to go up. Hmm. It's it's going to do a lot better than what I can do with mine because I don't have the nicety of having some animal manure to work with
0: the fertility that animals exactly. Bring, yeah.
1: Um, so that is um, definitely a win win for uh, whoever has that available to them. Hmm. I grew up on a farm when we had tremendous amount of livestock. But uh, I got so burnt out on livestock that I didn't ever go back into it after (laughs) I picked up these acres. So you have that one to three ratio of crop production. So two years ago, I raised 100 bushel corn. That was net after everything was taken out of it for discounts and whatever there was. Mm -hmm. So it it averaged about 100 100 bushel an acre. And uh, I had... It was gross contracted for $9 a bushel. And uh, after the freight was taken out and the little bit of a discount for, I can't remember what it was, maybe it was a light corn okay. that yeah. year, but uh, I ended up netting about $8, 8 and a half dollars 5 a bushel. Hmm. So that's uh, $850 an acre on land that I own, wow. and uh, I could make it on that. Yeah. And... After I look at what my projections are as far as um, if I want to change my fertility as far as what my uh, inputs are, mm-hmm. um, I think I may come out just as good this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Going back into corn, last last year I had sunflowers, which didn't yield as well as I had hoped, but we still got, uh, I think it was just a little over 1,200 pounds the acre. Okay. But- corn is a is a, a big cash crop for me yeah soybeans as well uh, yeah. edible beans as well the thing is is that you have to watch for any type of rotational depending upon your certifying agency they want you to rotate to work on the soil health uh, aspect of it and make sure that you're improving your soil health so in my case the soil health is a big deal and uh, I had gone from a field that I bought from my folks that was about 1.5 organic matter, and today it is about five and a half.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And it's completely agriculture subsurface tiled, and mm-hmm. uh, by doing something like that, the worst particular areas of the field that were white with uh, alkaline, mm-hmm. uh, that absolutely is the best that is the best yielding portion of the field today.
0: Hmm. Wow. It wow. has
1: the water coming out of the side hill yep and uh, the nutrients are there because there was nothing there to remove the nutrients or all of these years. yep and uh, it's very profitable. The certification uh, agency that I go through we have to take we have to soil sample every year hmm. and uh, you have to have a practice in hand to improve your soil health. Or you're in trouble. Okay. So um, they they monitor that quite closely. I do, however, believe that there is some benefits there. That if you look at the the maximizing of profits of conventional grown produce or crops or whatever you have, everything is marketed on a per weight basis. So in the conventional world and in the organic world, but more so on the conventional world, there is that, there is that trigger that says, I want to do everything that I can to, gra- to raise the most weight per acre. Hmm. And the organic industry kind of looks at that a little differently. They, uh, um, when you start raising organic crops, you'll find that that crop is saleable, only if it is more pristine looking hmm. and it has a higher protein level and it has a nicer sheen to it. It has a, uh, the corn that I grew two years ago, that was the most beautiful corn I think I've ever seen in my life. And that's one of the things that is important when you consider organic farming is mm-hmm. that, uh, there is that pristine effort to do the best that you can. And, and and get the best seed that you can and grow it the best way possible.
0: So what about the people that say there's no way that we can feed the world through organic farming? What What would you say to that?
1: Because of left lesser yields? and yep. Yeah. Um, I would say, I don't know. Because there are organic farmers right now that are outperforming conventional farmers.
0: Hmm, interesting. In
1: areas where they have the availability of, of the right inputs and or they are rotating their crops the right way Mm -hmm. they are putting in or incorporating interseeded crops with their row crops for example and i have tried a few things that uh, flame weeding that's another thing i guess i haven't (laughs) talked about that's a whole different uh, animal there as well i think that before i would push the idea that organic only Uh, avenues is the way to go. I would wean the conventional farming tactics a little bit differently than just cutting them off and saying this is the way that it should be. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, 20 years ago, Pioneer Seeds had a program down in Iowa that you could use all of the conventional fertilizers you wanted, any type of conventional fertilizer, but you couldn't use any chemical, any herbicide or any pesticide of hmm. any kind. And I begged to be part of that program because I could see how beneficial that could be. Hmm. They wouldn't let me be in that pilot program. I was too far away from the home area, which was down in Iowa, that okay. was pushing the pilot program. So it didn't work out for me. But there are there are pilot programs like that, if we can get something like that in, in the... Uh, industry itself to understand how beneficial something like that could be that we wouldn't have to worry about at all Uh about production capabilities because it would be there. The biggest problem that we have as organic farmers is getting nitrogen, phosphate, potash Uh um, at a cheap enough rate. You can get it as a um, organic uh, product. And I get my, I use Chilean nitrate, which comes from the country of Chile. Hmm. It's uh, wow. it's it's very expensive to do. <laughs> but uh, that's what I have found. It, it kind of does better than uh, poultry litter that I had trucked in from okay. Nebraska. So there are things that uh, we can look at that we can still make the healthy Soil. We can still or keep the healthy soil, and we still make a healthy crop coming out of those soils. But we just need to tweak the way that we look at how do we maintain those, and by controlling weeds. Yeah. And Europe has been doing mechanical cultivation with uh, you know cameras and uh, uh, high-speed actions on cultivators where they've got uh, rotary arms that do that mechanical weeding. Hmm. It's in it's super fast. It's it's coming here in this country now. There are some of those now, but I've been I've been wrestling with getting software for through NDSU and other universities to identify plants so that we can make this uh, something that's incorporated into these uh, mechanical weeders so that it Mm. identifies, for example, a bean plant or a sunflower plant or a corn plant, (laughs) and it takes everything else out other than that crop. Wow. So flame weeding, uh, using propane heat to uh, kill these weeds is another way that the University of Nebraska has been perfecting that program for many years. There is uh, the interseeding, the... uh, after the crop is up, you interseed uh, a multi-species cover crop in between the rows. There are bacterium now that uh, I understand is possibly going to be accepted by the organic industry. It already is in the conventional industry today where this bacterium is actually Incorporated into the corn plant that takes Mm -hmm. 15% of the needed nitrogen directly out of the atmosphere Mm -hmm. to grow that plant. Well, we can, so we can cut down on that now if that's, if that's approved by the organic industry. There are things that are coming at us that are well worthwhile and very exciting. So if I had to do it all over again and uh, if I picked up more acres, I would not. Bad and I about switching those acres over to organic uh, immediately hmm. because I think that the net profit is more of a steady income, which goes right along with uh, the field tiling aspect of you do away with the uh, sharp highs and the sharp lows of, yeah. of risk management of what you're growing and what you're trying to achieve from your field and for your farming. And I think that, that what I see is a, a much higher average than the ups and downs of conventional farming.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, if you think about it, more and more conventional farms are just growing more dependent upon the farm program. Um, and, and the farm program, quite honestly, is built that way because you get um, you get a crop insurance payment based on your yield. What it sounds like what you're talking about is potentially a way to get independent of of the farm program and the federal government,
1: Emory, I've never farmed the government.
0: Hmm. <laughs> I have
1: never had to, and yeah. uh, I have for many times been kicked out of the program because of what the ways that I experiment. Hmm. Um, to start with, for example, I didn't know what a uh, fruits and vegetable history was. I tried potatoes one year. Yeah, and
0: uh, that's not a vegetable, huh? <laughs> nope.
1: And I found out that I was booted out of the program. But the thing is, is that the amount of money that I get out of that program is not worth me to even sweat over. So I just, I don't need it.
0: Well, that's really exciting. Well, it sounds like for people who are interested, producers who may be interested, that um, organic farming um, could be, A good diversification tool um, for multiple reasons, one being more profit potential, especially if you're able to diversify with livestock, you're able to get that fertility that you're being paid for on your field already. Um, and, And so that would be a great option. And then two, just gaining independence from the federal government, which more and more producers will be interested in as as the federal government's fingers clamp down on some of this stuff. With that being said, what would you say to a producer today listening who is interested in going this direction? Would you say start out slow, start out with a few acres, or just throw the whole darn farm in altogether?
1: If you're going to do that, I would recommend that you Do that in a couple of years from when you decide to do that (laughs) and learn about, take some time and find out, um, go to some programs, get uh, hooked up with some people that have been in it for a while, some certifying groups that have, that put on programs to educate farmers as to how the process works, what it takes to do this. And this is, was a big one for me, um, When I first got interested in it, I was down in southern Minnesota visiting with some elderly farmers that had never used chemical in their lives. And they were raising 110 bushel oats. Mm, They were raising, uh, at that time, 80 and 100 bushel corn. Now I'm talking 30 years ago. Wow. So the hybrids that we have today are tremendously better than what they had 30 years ago and before that. And when you look at some of the pictures of their alfalfa fields that uh, I have never seen alfalfa, like those pictures, and they were all certified organic. And we raised a lot of a nice swath, a tremendous amount of alfalfa for our cattle. There was absolutely nothing wrong with what I saw in those pictures for those, uh, those crops of alfalfa. So when those individuals are doing that with the older varieties of seed and crops uh, comparing to what we have today, now we can't use the GM products and we can't use anything that's treated, that's not accepted by uh, OMRI, which is an oversight operation for uh, the inputs that we can use in the organic industry then I would say that uh, if you're unsure of that, then start out slow. Hmm. But make it worthwhile. So let's say that if you were farming uh, 1,000 or 2,000 acres, I would say try a quarter, try 80 acres and uh, see where it goes because hmm. it's not going to be anything to switch back again. You can get a feel for what it takes for commitment you can get a feel for what it takes for um, concern about weed management. Another thing that we didn't talk about Emory is insect management. Oh,
0: yes. Yeah.
1: Again, talking with these elderly farmers, uh, Southern Minnesota, I brought up the question about, okay, so how do I handle these uh, seed weevil in sunflowers? And I raise sunflowers. I love raising them, but I raise them about every fourth or fifth year in my rotation. I have never had more than 2% bug damage ever. Hmm. That's my absolute worst bug damage. Only
0: 2%. 2%. Wow.
1: They don't start docking until it gets to 5 Wow. Nothing sprayed on these plants. But I was told by these individuals that if you have healthy soil, you have a healthy plant. Hmm. If you are putting on these chemicals or extra fertilizers or whatever it is, that plant immediately goes into stress, which mm-hmm. is then releasing a pheromone that draws in insects. Hmm. Your livestock is the same way. Yeah. So if you have that healthy soil, you have now just one in many, many rounds of, uh, of your whole project. I have never sprayed anything ever for any bugs, any mm-hmm. weevils, seed weevils on soybeans, corn, sunflower seed weevil, nothing ever. I don't even go out and look anymore because I just don't have those issues. Hmm. There's something absolutely to that.
0: That's really interesting. Yep. So let's just look at the future of organic farming. Where do you think it's going to go?
1: I think it's going to go a little bit toward the middle of the road where that Iowa program that I was mentioning earlier and go toward something that we can grow that's going to improve the growth because of a few for example, are growing a better plant, you're growing a better root system, which mm-hmm. increases the aerobic bacteria in the soil. It increases the organic matter in the soil. Tie that up together with maintaining and managing the water levels in the soil by agricultural field tile. That's, that's where I'm at. That's what I've seen over my history of growing these crops and, and increasing the soil productivity of that field. Is tremendously nicer working with this soil because it is it's more like garden soil all the time So, right now we have a very rigid type of organic certification process and I think that that is limiting the amount of uh, individuals that want to start and or try the organic process and we were promised years ago that the process was going to be made easier and it's just like any IRS form or government <laughs> form. It uh, it didn't work that way. It yeah. doesn't work that way. It's not that way today. Then you know it has got more complicated. When uh, individuals sit down and they want to fill out the paperwork for these programs, I think that the angst of getting into it and or the complication of it all is driving individuals away from getting in into it. So if there's a way that anybody that wants to try this, if they had uh, availability of a mentor, that would be wonderful for them. What I think is going to happen in the future is that the federal government in overseeing these programs is, I'm sure that they're realizing it now that people want healthy food, but I will absolutely sacrifice the labeling of organic versus something that is we're growing it with conventional types of fertilizers but there's no chemicals involved Mm -hmm. and I think the technology is coming at us rather quickly here to be able to control weeds in a much better way so we don't need to use those types of uh, Mm -hmm. chemicals Mm -hmm. and looking back that's one of the reasons that's the only reason that we started using those chemicals in the first place is because you know what we got too many acres to get over and uh we can't possibly cultivate them we can't possibly mm-hmm. rotate them. we can't it's and we we didn't have the the possibility of tiling a field so it stayed too wet to even get a tractor in there to do this manual work mm-hmm. um so there's a lot to it but I think that the efforts are going the right way. I think that we are going to see a change in agriculture going forward.
0: Almost in order to do that, you almost have to get the consumer reconnected with the producer. Um, and and that's a that's a question that us rural producers have asked for a long time. A friend of mine asked me, "What do organic farmers use for fertilizer?" And I said, "Well, oh, a lot of cow poop and a lot of other things like that." And she was like, "What? They mm-hmm. put poop on their fields?" And just the the total mental disconnect between the consumer and and they'll buy based on the label. But I really think that's going to be really vital for us. moving forward especially if we want to continue to stay independent of the federal government from whatever regulations they hand down the pike Mm -hmm. is getting our consumers out and being like hey guys here's what we do here's why we do it i use synthetic fertilizer and here's why i do it or, or i don't use it or i use this this minimal chemical for this reason but i don't i don't use this one or here's what i feed my cattle or just a just a variety of things and and getting that consumer-producer trust again, I think I think will be huge.
1: So. It, Emory, it absolutely is huge. Yeah, uh, the educational portion of this, and I'm very happy to see like the land grant universities get out and do more educating of hmm. of kids than on a lower level to so that they understand uh, how and why wheat is made and what yeah. happens to wheat, what yeah. happens to corn, what happens to soybeans, and yeah. all of those products. And uh, I think that it's important that. Uh, they understand that there is a biological action that takes place in all of everything that we do in this yeah. world. So they need to understand that, you know what, that cow poop out there is doing a tremendous job. <laughs> the more that they understand about the ecosystem that makes things work that way, they aren't actually eating the cow poop themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, one more thing is that if there is a need for spot spraying a particular chemical Hmm. on this stuff. Right now, as an organic producer, you can't do that. And I think that that's problematic because Hmm. I really don't think that the roundup type of chemical is problematic. I think that if it's handled properly, used properly, and an example here is I took off 22 rock piles off of my field and where... A lot of those rock piles were located. I still have today a cluster of Russian thistle. And if I could go in there with Roundup and or another chemical that could wipe out those uh, patches of that and not get dinged for it because it, uh, you know, it's going to mess up my certification on the entire field. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I would certainly do that. Yeah. But I can't. Yeah. And I won't because I don't want to jeopardize it. But in the future, I think that something like that should be considered into the overall production of of farming so that, you know, what we don't have to kill every particular weed out in that field. That weed may be doing us some benefit by Mm -hmm. rotating nutrients, bringing some nutrients to the surface, making channels in that soil, feeding some aerobic bacteria in that soil. So by killing off of everything that is not what we considered a crop, I don't feel we really need to do that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're going back in and are incorporating a, a cover crop in between the rows, mm-hmm. and we're calling that a you know, beneficial cover crop. Well, if those particular plants were in a field where you didn't want them, then they'd be considered weeds, wouldn't they?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's true. So
1: we need to maybe reevaluate how much of a benefit there mm-hmm. is, or a negative, to these what we were calling weeds, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's more so on managing. How do we get the best growth out of the crop that we are trying to harvest, and not spend that much of a focus on the negatives that are the weeds can cause.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the mentality is is that we need to focus on because that that particular plant is growing it's a it's a weed and it's out of place and it's yeah. harmful but maybe not
0: well thank you so much larry for joining me today have a wonderful rest of your day thank you Emery. thank you for tuning into this week's straight talk with ndfb i am your host emory melhoff